There are certain things that just belong together. They pair well. Coffee and donuts, chocolate and wine, a warm fire and a good book, peanut butter and jelly, unless you're allergic to nuts. Probably shouldn't have that sandwich. And it's not just a casual observation. Science tells us that this is a reality. Certain things belong together and certain things do not. Oil and water, you've all seen, for example, do not mix. And there are many different elements that will not mix with one another, while others bond well and play together well. Magnets are drawn to each other unless on the same pole, in which case they repel. There are certain plants that gardeners call companion plants because if you plant them together, they flourish. And inversely, there are plants that should never be planted next to each other because inexplicably, they will negatively affect each other and fail to thrive. Some things just belong together and others should never mix. I, for one, would find it very disturbing to go to the zoo and see an exhibit where there was a lion and a lamb in it. I feel like that, I feel like that might be a little disturbing for all of us. And I also would not recommend a baby or a toddler to play with a venomous snake, right? This scripture that Matthew just read gives me anxiety when I think about the idea of a little chubby hand reaching in to a venomous snake's hole. It's terrifying. And yet this is how our Isaiah text this morning describes the kingdom of God. Things that do not belong together inexplicably coexisting. The lion lying down with the lamb, a cow and a bear hanging out together, a lion that's vegan and eating straw instead of meat, the babies hanging out with the venomous snakes and never being bitten. These images challenge our notion of what pairs well and what does not. They remind us that in the way of God, there is a mutuality that defies the rules and expectations of the world. Simply put, there is a new order in Christ, and it is coming. In this new order, the leader judges, not with the eyes or ears, but with righteousness for the poor and equity for the meek of the earth. And this is perhaps even more revolutionary and strange than a lion choosing to have a salad over a nice plump lamb for dinner. We, as humans tend to judge with our eyes and our ears, without taking into consideration what might be below the surface. We take things for face value. This week I saw a powerful set of images. They were before and after pictures of people who were, um, had been just absolutely consumed by addiction to drugs. The pictures where they were actively using these people looked like ghosts or corpses. They looked terrible. They looked like someone, if you saw them on the street, you'd probably cross over the other side. They looked dead and sick. Whereas the pictures when they were sober and healthy, they looked like any happy, handsome person on a commercial. They looked like the person maybe sitting next to you on the pew. It's easy to judge people who are at their worst with our eyes and ears. When we see the sunken cheeks, the pockmarks, and the dirty exterior of those who are lost to addiction, 
when we see the hard anger that comes from years of abuse, when we don't understand a culture or language or don't see how a mother and father could walk miles and miles, days and months for a new life for their children. We forget that there are real, precious children of God in this disturbing disguise. Thankfully, our God judges in a way that brings equality and justice, that does not focus on outward qualities, but on the reality that each incredible person has sacred worth. And somehow, we are invited to do the same. This inexplicable kingdom of God that is coming, that is near, is wide open to all. And Paul, in the letter to the Christians in Rome that Matthew just read, urged them to let go of what they thought about the rules of God's kingdom and move forward into the future that Christ has ushered in. You see, if one looks at the Old Testament, it can seem pretty clear that God's chosen people are only those genetically descended from Abraham. Yeah, there was that one time that God promised Abraham that all the families of the world would be blessed through his family. But it really seems clear that there's just one chosen people, right? Christ broke open that once and for all, the idea of this genetic inheritance to belonging to God, and destroyed it on the cross. But the Christians in Rome still really liked that idea. They like to belong. They like to have this set of rules. They like to see that that they could draw this line and and tell who was in and who was out. This human tendency of making things exclusive tends to pop up throughout history. They knew their scripture. They knew those who belonged and those who did not. So Paul, beautifully articulated, he doesn't always beautifully articulate things, but in the scripture I feel like he does. He beautifully articulated what scripture is for and what it is not for. The scripture was not meant to make us small. The scripture was not meant to make us predictable. The scripture was not meant to keep us obedient. The scripture is meant to give us hope so that we might walk with freedom into the new day that Christ has for us. The scripture was meant to point us in the way of God so that we could, with one voice, glorify God. If the old rules don't reflect that heart, we have to let them go. We need to, all, we need to hold it all up in this light. Does it reflect Christ? Does it give us hope? The scriptures, as Paul wrote, are always for your hope. True to form, in our gospel text, John the Baptist came in like a wrecking ball. You brood of vipers, he slings at the religious authorities. You think you have a corner on God? You think your pedigree can save you? You think your adherence to the rules is sufficient to be found in the kingdom? Wrong. God can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. One does not need the correct DNA or the correct mutilated body part. One does not need a perfect track record of following the rules. One simply needs 
to have that sacred worth found inside and be ready to trust the leading of God and repent. In other words, admit that you have not gotten it right and trust that God has you. Repentance at its heart is a radical acceptance of what is. It's finally coming to the end and saying, I have sinned. I'm not going to make excuses for it anymore. I'm weak. I'm not going to pretend like I'm strong anymore. I have no idea what's coming next. I'm not going to pretend like I can be prepared. I repent of the idea that I can do it myself. I need God. We would all feel a lot more comfortable if we had a really great finite rule book, not a confusing holy text, which is part history, part hyperbole, part poetry, part prophecy, part genealogy records. We'd be a lot more comfortable if we could tell by someone's birth certificate or Lutheran baptismal certificate whether they belong or not. We don't want to risk hanging out with a lion if it hasn't become a vegan yet. And we certainly don't want to embrace a junkie as a child of God if they haven't gotten clean, let alone let people into our country that can't speak English. In anxiety, we look for certainty. But God answers anxiety not with certainty, but with community. How confounding. In our Old Testament epistle and gospel readings, we are pointed to a way of being together that defies the way of the world, that brings growth, that brings hope, that helps us live in the justice and love of God. A way that puts trust above suspicion, a way that puts hope above the safety of certainty, a way that values all people. The way of Jesus. And this way will make a beautiful future for ourselves and for all the children of the world genetically related to us, Abraham or not. And I love the imagery of the venomous snakes, how it comes up in our Old Testament and then, and then again is mirrored in the gospel. John the Baptist talks about it too. I have heard countless people as a pastor come to me and tell me how religion has hurt them, especially when they were children. The dogmatic way of looking at scriptures as an unyielding rule book rather than a living, breathing word of life has hurt too many children. It was a terrible pairing. So I love this image of the little chubby baby playing with these venomous snakes. And I imagine the baby just like giggling and the snake just kind of like going around their little arms. And how John the Baptist calls the narrow-minded religious authorities brood of vipers. This gives us incredible hope about our future in Christ. One where things that used to wound our children will no longer have power over them anymore in Jesus' name. Where our faith communities are free from the poison of that rigidity. And where we can trust that our little ones can toddle around and learn about God's love. This morning on our second Sunday of Advent, we are invited into this holy community. 
this community that is coming, this community that is here. A community where seemingly dangerous and incongruous pairings make perfect sense because of the love and inclusion of God. And this morning, as my daughter and I were pulling into the parking lot, we looked up and we saw on the cross on top of the bell tower, which is the highest thing in Burlington, there was birds. There's usually just one bird, but there was like six or seven birds crammed on this cross. And I was so grateful how God just continually reminds us of these promises. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we will see it everywhere. God's love inscribed on creation. We are invited into this community where we're all crammed together on the cross. A community with folk our former selves might have crossed the street to avoid before. Folk who do not share our Lutheran DNA or our pedigree. Folk who are rough around the edges in ways that are different than we are rough around the edges. And by being community together in Jesus' name, we will see the future that God has for us. It will come This is why we're a worshiping community, y'all. If we were only interested in the mystical parts of Christianity, we could largely do that alone in our living rooms or out in the woods. But we are called to be the body of Christ together. We are called to live and move and have our being and work out the details of potluck and shared ministry and who is going to hang the pyramids and how we will proclaim with our community, with Burlington Lutheran Church, that God's future is one without fear. God's future is one of inclusion. God's future is one of love. God's future through Christ is now. We are the body of Christ. Hope for the world. Amen. Let's stand and sing together hymn number 256.